So I saw the recipe that you sent me for the Korean spicy beef tacos, which was delicious by the way. I've now made them twice and I'm very impressed with myself, but it necessitated a trip to the grocery store. And uh. one of the ingredients in the marinade for the beef was, I don't know how you say it, shayoxing? Wine? is That's probably completely wrong, but it's basically oh. Chinese cooking wine. Yeah. I thought it was like shao... Shaoxing? That's probably... Oh, cool. no. I'm sorry, guys. I only ever read... read right? Them. Yeah. Uh, nobody says them to me. Uh, <laughs> as a rule, all of the Asians in the grocery store I went to were not interested in communicating, which was ideal because I was listening to a podcast and I could not talk. Um, oh, what hmm. is your... I guess, clearly, we already know, but your stance on listening, like headphones in the grocery store, you're pro? Oh, I'm very pro, but I will take them out when I go to pay because I don't want to be like distracted then yeah uh, yeah I always take them out when I pay but otherwise no communication with the outside world I'm just doing my own thing although it did lead to a very adorable kind of moment where I was like is this a meet cute if I took my headphones out I feel like it would be uh where I went in and I was like looking around for a basket and there was just like one on the floor so I assumed it was for me uh so I put my stuff in it and then I see this guy look around and he's like oh oh and I'm like oh was this yours sorry my bad like my bad whatever and uh he's like oh no you can keep it and I was like no no you you go and it was adorable uh anyways so I'm going in I'm wandering through the aisles just looking at all the variety of fermented things that I could purchase I was yeah. very pleased with all of it it looked delightful uh I got all my ingredients for these tacos which was mainly I like all the other stuff I could basically get anywhere like uh there was like the Japanese mayo which is slightly different, but not very. I was like, I could just use regular mayo, but yeah. I ended up getting it because it was there. But I really went for this Xiaoxing, however I say it, I don't know, uh, cooking wine, because they're, when I read, I'm like, what can you substitute this for? They're like, nothing, bitch. Uh, <laughs> great. So went, did that. It was a delightful time. I got a lot of very cheap veg. It's crazy nice. how much cheaper it is. Not at like grocery stores. I know. And it's so worth it. It's like a half an hour walk as opposed to a five minute walk for me. But, like, that's fine. Although Walks are good. fucking cold out these days. Like, I walked to work with wet hair the other day because I cannot get my life together to shower and then blow dry my hair for work. That extra 10 minutes is not in the time frame. No. Uh, complete and total fucking icicles. <laughs> like, I started to tins to get uh, donuts for me and Char. And I'm in there and I touch my head and I was like, oh, she crunchy. Like, this is not cute. <laughs> it was pretty brutal. But anyways... Had a very lovely time getting all these ingredients. Had a very lovely time making these spicy tacos. Uh, and this leads us sort of into our thing because <laughs> koji is used in the Shaoxing wine. Oh, yes. It's in like every, it's in so many things. It's in soy, it's in sake, it's in miso, which is the topic of today's discussion. Yeah, which you probably knew because you clicked on this episode. <laughs> we're just auto-played and we're jazzed to have you here. Wow, yay. Welcome to Pantry Staples, everybody. A podcast where we dish on your favorite foods. I'm Marika. And I'm Emily. And that was possibly our most cohesive intro ever. Wow. It basically made sense to the topic at hand. And I didn't mention my feet. <laughs> Till now. Yep. Okay, so uh, miso. What the heck is it? Let me tell you what miso is. Basically, it's a seasoning. That's the long and short of it. Oh. But yeah. what is it made out of? So miso is a mixture of salt, grains, and soybeans all fermented together. Ooh. 
the most important ingredient, or not the most, but one of the most important ingredients. I mean, I guess technically there's now only four ingredients, so they're all pretty important. <laughs> is koji, which is a variety of fungus. So this is necessary to get that kind of proper taste that you associate with miso. Yeah. Uh, it's been designated the national mold of Japan, <gasps> which I'm obsessed with. Like, do we have a national mold? I want a national mold. I assume that there is one for every area, but I don't think anyone's going about designating it. Mm. It's just like, we all have our own weird bacteria. Don't we? Delicious. <laughs> um, I enjoyed that face. Thank you. Uh, so anyways, there's different kinds of koji, which is really cool. And they produce different things like the Shaoxing wine, sake, soy, as we've said. But miso is definitely right up there. So looked at a lot of like how-tos basically don't think it's very easy to do so it's no. a naturally occurring mold which means that technically if you just leave like rice out that's steamed at the right temperature it should be able to do its thing but mm. mold's tricky and we don't like to fuck around no, because no. the title of any kind of fermentation is is it delicious or is it botulism <laughs> uh, it's a dangerous game uh, so now you can buy it, basically, like strains of it, just like you can buy artificial yeast for wine and beer and all that sort of shit. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So in order to make miso, the basic premise is that you get grain of some sort. So that can be rice, that can be barley, that can be millet, whatever you have on hand. Uh, you steam it, you let it out, you put some of this koji mold like in it so that it will propagate. Yeah. And then you take that, you take soybeans that you've either... Sometimes you don't mush them up. Sometimes you do. Then you ferment them with salt. And that is miso in general. But there's so many different kinds and so many different things that can happen. And it's so cool. Uh, but let's talk history real quick. So yeah. as in literally everything that I've talked about ever, apparently, recently, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of theories about what's going on here. Uh, and no, no conclusive answers. No conclusive answers. One that like, again, I don't know why I have such like a hard time accepting half of these answers. I'm always very much in one camp. Mm. Uh, and I think that that's probably bad of me as a researcher to just be like, no, but this is totally what happened. But I can't help it. I feel my feelings. I feel them very hard. Everyone's uh, like that. Yeah. yeah. So two theories of the origin of miso. Either it's originally from Japan or it was imported to Japan by Chinese Buddhist monks. Oh, I know which one Japan believes. <laughs> yeah, you also know which one China believes. You also know which one I believe because I think it's insane that any country is like, yeah, we totally introduced this when there's a much more dominant history in the other country. Anywho. <laughs> uh, so the suggested time frame for the Japanese origin story is from the Yayao, Y-A-Y-O-I, period which is around 300 bce to 309 ce what were people doing at that time i know you're going to ask do you actually know do you remember because i have told you this one before wait what, what are the years again i was drinking water <laughs> 300 bce to 309 ce oh which is like uh, a long time period by the way yeah uh what have they got like simple tools and like some basic things no, like no like like I don't know. I don't remember. I have no. in the Colosseum. Oh, yeah. Three hundred. Rome is like turning into a pretty intense, like badass yes. state because right. all white people associate time with Rome. Um, Sorry, it's true. Three oh nine C. Shit is not looking good in Rome. Tis not a fun time. Mm. There's a lot of emperors that have come and gone. There's a lot of chaos. 
And Japan is just like... Japan is making miso. Love it. Yeah. Uh, So salting as a means of preservation was first found in Japan in the Yaman Yaman, Yaman period, which is uh, approximately 16,500 years ago. And then that until the Yayoi period. So the salting of it is totally like again once we see agriculture develop people are figuring out a way to keep that for the time if you're no longer a hunter or gatherer you have to figure out how to preserve for the seasons when food isn't fresh that's just yep. the long and short of it if we hadn't figured it out immediately we would all be dead yes uh, <laughs> sorry them's the breaks huh. so there's also lots of architectural remains from this time with traces of salt in them that support this theory so we know that salting was happening that is not really something anyone needs to dispute uh what I think is the interesting part is the uh, koji and the soybeans and all of that being kind of assembled together. But I don't know. It just kind of seems to me like if there's such a huge culture of it, they probably kind of had an idea. Anyways, uh, in China, she is equivalent of miso. And it's said that around 100 BCE, the fermentation of soybeans and millets started. And it's thought that it was brought back to Japan by an envoy during the Tang Dynasty, which is 618 to 907 CE. What's happening in that time? Not a goddamn thing I care about. <laughs> Not a goddamn thing. But this is like... After the like the f- traditional fall of the Roman Empire, I'm yeah. pretty sure like, Byzantium's doing stuff. People are sad. Yeah. But that's significantly later than what mm-hmm. the Japanese are saying. That they're, that's yeah. 300 years later yeah. than the end date of the J- Japanese theory. Hmm. So... Who's to say? I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess it's always possible that similar things were happening. Like, you've got rice and millet and soybeans in both places. Like, why would you not be? Totally. Eh. And again, like, who's to say who invented what? Like, I don't know, man. Like, this is not one for me to get up in arms about. And yet I am. It's more fun. Exactly. If I was just casually telling you some facts that were accurate and 100% solid, this would be a much better podcast, and I am sorry that I'm not doing that for you all. Yeah, anyway. that's boring. Uh, so then in the Taiho Ritsuryo, which is an administrative document from around 700 CE in Japan, there are words shu, shi, and mishu used on the list of foods which one of the imperial household departments dealt with. So it's assumed that these words are predecessors of the word miso. Which is cool. So around 700 CE is when we have the first recorded use of those terms that we can closely link to the term miso. So we're seeing these in imperial households, which is, again, another uh, great example of where miso is fitting in society. This is something for high status people. It's for the emperor. It's for people with cash. It's for samurais. It's for royalty. This is not something that your average dude on the street is eating at this time. What's like anything at this time like when you're able to like flavor your food that's like because you've got like it's a luxury it's a totally any like it's just so crazy that the idea of having like tasty food and again this is something still so common today but like the idea of being able to have access to tasty delicious food it costs money like Uh the average joe blow isn't having this this is why i am not currently eating like a really weird obscure animal like a parrot what? I don't know. I feel like rich people could eat a parrot if they wanted to, and maybe it's delicious. Or those little birds that are drowned in cognac. Or or... I want to eat those so bad. <sighs> I'm going to and go to hell for it. I want to eat the beak and the little feet. 
You have to. That's how you have to put the whole thing in your mouth and oh, wear a napkin over yeah. your head. We've definitely talked about Orlon on this podcast. We totally have. Oh, I want it so badly. Ugh. Uh, the first recorded use of the term miso, so like the actual M-I-S-O spelling of it, huh. is in Nihon Sandai Jitsuroku, which is the true history of the three reigns of Japan, which was finished in 901. Uh, this first recorded specialty miso, or sorry, the first recorded specialty miso store was Hishio, which is in Kyoto in approximately like around 900 CE. So that's so cool. So now we have the actual term being used. We also have a place designated to sell this, which wild. So it's not just in the house anymore, not just for special emperors, but for the rich non-emperor people. Yeah. And important enough to like the cuisine at large that you've mm-hmm. got a whole store just for that. Yeah, Totally. Very neat. I feel like if you had a, this is like how I didn't think that the hot sauce store in Tawathan Mills was going to make it, but it did. Everyone loves hot sauce. Just flavor. People love flavors. So during the Muromaki period, which is 1333 to 1573, the production of soybeans increased significantly. So because of this increase in soybean production, we see that miso is now more accessible to the average person, which is fantastic. Uh, it's also around this time when miso soup is created. Miso soup has such an enormously, like, culturally important place in the Japanese diet. It's part of, oh gosh, I should have had the term here, but there's a specific term for, like, what a balanced meal should be, and it's, like, rice, miso. Do you have the term? It's washoku, and it's mostly what I'm going to be talking about for the rest Perfect. of my part of the Good podcast. that I didn't write it down, because I, I subconsciously knew you would have that. <laughs> um, but it's, like, it's supposed to be just miso, rice, a side dish of sorts, and then pickles usually, which I was like, yeah, I'd eat that. That sounds like a delicious day. I would have totally. that every day. Over time, miso is becoming more popular, more common, less costly. The samurai character in Mulanju Great Sculpture Paper, which is written in 1528. I uh, thought you were going to say Mulan. <laughs> I wish. You're not talking about Mulan in this, are you? I know that that's China, but still, that'd be a fun thing to discuss. I still haven't seen the movie. I hear bad things. Um, yeah, not good. No. Have you seen it? No! I now have access to a Disney Plus account, so that's pretty exciting. Maybe I'll go watch it later. I'm very into Parks and Rec at the moment. I can't possibly have no time. No time at all. Anywho, uh, so what does this samurai say in this book in 1528? It says, pour soup in a bowl of rice and eat them. So, clearly people are writing about this stuff. Miso soup, big deal. Love it. Love this miso soup. When do I not Uh want that? Also, did you know that apparently you're not supposed to tip the lid over ever? What? So if your bowl comes and it has a little lid on top, right, which is how it's traditionally supposed to be served, you have to take the lid off and put it down, but you can't flip it. And then you put it back on top when you're finished, but you never flip it. Who knew? Would you like to know about the first miso factory? Of course. So first miso factory appeared in Sengoku period, which is like 1467 to 1615. Wow. And... Not just because people really wanted miso. Oh no, you have to have a war for the miso. You gotta have a war. Uh, So there's a war. Someone's like, I'm really worried about my supply chains. I just don't know. How are we going to get the miso to the people? And uh, miso and miso soup was considered, and rice, to be like fighting food. Like that's what's going to get you energized to kill. So this dude, whose name I have, Owen Sogura, he developed a miso factory which is great. And he also, which I don't know if it would be the first, I was thinking about this too. I was like, I wonder if people were doing like instant miso soup before this and this guy just like figured it out or like this guy figured out, I don't know when the timing is. I assume they're all kind of happening around the same bit, but he had instant miso soup 
for his like soldiers because if you're like on the move you're campaigning around you gotta have your little your stuff all ready to go you just add some hot water boom how cool is that i mean miso soup already is basically instant like you just like mix the paste with hot water yeah don't blow my spot up come on i'm just (laughs) (laughs) that's very cool okay so who would they have been fighting at the time was it like china it's not russia this russo japanese wars later right hang on cut this out pretend that i knew it (laughs) never do military history of japan cool oh no no i've got this the Sengoku period is marked by social upheaval, political intrigue, and near constant military conflict. Ah. This is the period where we have this factory. Are they just like fighting each other? Like, I think is it that just... they are. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, it's just a bunch of internal fighting. Like, oh, because are they still feudal at that point? Yes. Yes. Sure. Yeah. No, they're okay. definitely feudal. Bad times. Feudalism, hey? Can't believe it. So rough. I read this book called Crispin and the Lead Cross when I was like, hmm, 12? And it really, yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything about that statement is completely accurate to my life. Uh, And it really shone a very dark light on feudalism. As opposed to the super upbeat times that everyone else was talking about. I mean, I feel like King Arthur is pretty like, yay feudalism, but. I feel like I never really got into King Arthur, which is weird because you would totally assume that that's something I'd be into. Yeah. Different kinds of miso are produced and it's depending on what kind of grain is used to produce it. So the very fancy rich kind is with polished white rice. Uh, This is traditionally eaten by like the wealthier class, obviously the samurais, the emperor, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Miso made with broken rice, barley, or millet consumed by poor people. It's a little bit darker in color. Today, the color of miso is still kind of an indicator of its cost and status, but mostly, again, it's to tell you what it's produced of, sorry. Uh, The area that the miso is made in also tells you probably what grain is going to be used. So north is where the rice is farmed. So miso there is usually going to be rice-based, where in the south, barley is more commonly used. So that's just going to be a little bit darker. So I have some different kinds of classifications for miso. So it can be classified by the raw material, which is, you know, rice, barley, or just soybeans. Obviously, there's like a million and one other things you can use in terms of the grades, but those are the more predominant. You can also classify it by taste. So like a low salt miso, a sweet miso, or a strong miso. Or by color, red miso, light-colored miso, or white miso. So I'm just going to read you some little paragraphs that I got off the interwebs. So raw ingredients for miso can be categorized into the three types for rice miso, barley, or soybean miso. And blended miso, which combines these three types. Rice miso is made by adding rice koji to soybeans. Barley by adding barley koji to soybeans. Soybean miso is comprised only of soybeans. Makes sense. Makes sense. So miso categorized by flavor such as sweet or strong. The strength of taste mainly depends on the amount of salt used, but another deciding factor is the koji rate. The koji rate refers to the uh, ratio of rice or barley to the soybeans. Uh, If the salt content is held constant, the higher the koji rate, the sweeter the miso will be. I also read that the way that we perceive the saltiness of it, it can have the same level, but the more aged your miso is, Mm -hmm. the less salty it's going to taste. I feel like that makes sense because then there's like other flavors going exactly, on. Exactly, like the umami is developing a bit better. Like it's yeah. just rounding it itself out. Uh, so miso is visually categorized into red miso, light colored miso, and white miso according to the finished color. Various conditions determine the color of the miso, such as the type of soybean ingredient used, whether the soybeans are boiled or steamed, and the amount of koji added, and whether the mixture is stirred during fermentation. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Anyways, now today, everything is all just done in factories and life is a nightmare, and uh, we live in an industrialized hellscape. 
Over to you, Marika. <laughs> mm, are you going to be discussing the use of the super racist phrase, me so horny? <gasps> no, I, I have a magnet that says that. It. It's literally on my fridge right now. I got it from the like, place that everyone in university went. What general public. Gen- Do you say general republic? General public. Or uh, the eatery. The eatery. Thank you. There we go. Okay. Tell me more. Tell me all your stuff. Um, okay. So as I mentioned before, I'm like actually barely going to talk about miso because... I'm shocked. That's so <laughs> off brand for you. <laughs> Look, it hasn't changed that much in like True. the modern era. It's just like, we're just, I just, anyway, but we are going to first talk about miso and health. Love it. So yeah, the question is eating fermented soy good for you or is it bad? <laughs> With all things, the question of fermentation. Again, it's either is it delicious or botulism or is it delicious or bad for your health? And the answer, as with like all of these things, is like, we don't heckin' know. Like, Mm -hmm. I just feel like, especially with like soy products, I always grew up with like so many conflicting stories about soy being like super healthy or like really bad. I feel like that's partly big cow industry trying to get everyone off the soy train. I mean, and I know miso isn't like 100% soy, but like Mm. soy isn't great in a lot of ways. Like the production of it is questionable. I was going to say, isn't it really bad for the environment? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it's just, I I mean, we're, we're not just talking about soy, but I feel like the thing that always really stuck in my mind as like a child hearing about like health panics and like soy was the fear that it would like give men breasts oh my god because of like the estrogen great let's get way more of that into them everyone needs more titties and i feel like again always with the throwback of like people being shocked that my dad was a vegetarian as well they're like but but soy like does he eat tofu like tofu gives men breasts (laughs) oh r.i.p um (laughs) but then also though anecdotally i do know a girl from high school who apparently drank a ton of soy milk to increase her bust bust size and apparently it worked i mean but maybe she just gained weight and it went to her tits no she was always quite thin i think it i think she kind of started like drinking the soy milk before like she really hit puberty and like her boobs grew Mm. and then when they finally grew everyone was like it's because she drank so much soy milk and she did drink a lot of soy milk so that's wild. Also, who wants bigger tits ever? Like, it's Ugh. Wild to me. Ugh. They just drag you down. No. No. Okay, so I did read a study from 2007 that looked at the effects of soy consumption on breast cancer risk in Japanese women. Mm. So, soy contains isoflavon? Isoflavone? Go with that, yeah. It's a phytoestrogen, which apparently can suppress endogenous or strong estrogens aka the ones that cause cancer Hmm. so like this isoflavin so they're claiming it's a suppressant to drink soy milk well so isoflavin is has the ability to suppress like the cancer causing estrogen and soy contains this isoflavin but it's like just because correlation is not causation yeah like anything it's like just because you've got like a little bit of something doesn't mean it's going to Maybe no. Carol. Like it's we're kind of back to like the vitamin C Ugh. situation. 
on a total side note, I've been monitoring how much vitamin C I actually get in a day. Like I've been recording my food exactly for the purpose of vitamin C <laughs> and I'm getting way too much. So this is the thing. Soy has these things that stop cancer, but there's never obviously been like a direct protective link that's like conclusive. There has been one study in Japan that supposedly showed that consuming three or more cups of miso soup per day had a protective effect against breast cancer. But that's like just this, that one study. And the study that I actually read was like, maybe, but we couldn't find anything like certain. And it's just like always, they're like this, there's one study that says this, but like, eh. (laughs) (laughs) And then by contrast, Uh, I read a different study that looked at stomach cancer and its relation to diet. So kind of like the kimchi situation. And they found that a preference for salty foods, pickled vegetables, boiled fish, and miso soup were associated with a stomach cancer risk. Hmm. I feel like all these studies are bullshit. Not helpful, (laughs) I know. Sorry. Um, No. I mean, I think the thing is there is it's like all of the foods that they've just listed like have a lot of salt in them so it's like clearly like salt is actually the problem Mm -hmm. not like miso soup it's just like if you're eating a lot of miso soup like you're getting a lot of salt so i remember being like nine years old and there was an article on like a global tv and it was like canadians get like 60 percent more salt in their daily intake than they actually need and if you're just eating regular things it's already 60 percent. so if you salt your food it's like a thousand percent I was like, oh, fuck, we got to worry. Yeah, I feel like I had a babysitter who, like, didn't salt her food. And she was, like, heavier. Mm. It was like, she's like, yeah, like, salt is the killer. Like, salt cut. And I was just like, but flavor. I never really used to, like, I never salt my food. Like, if somebody serves me a dish, I will never put salt on it on, like, extra. No, horrifying. I always forget. That's really it. The only time, and like, sometimes I love extra salt on french fries. The only time I'll do it is if I see someone else doing it and it reminds me that I fucking love extra salt. I feel like it's very rare that something I find like needs extra salt. Okay, so that's, that's that. <laughs> now let's just talk so salt about- Salt is cancer. Good salt. Chat. Yeah, I mean like, I don't know. Like, just watch your salt. Watch your soy intake. I don't know. Just All be- things in moderation as we've literally already told you. I'm going to have a little health section for every single- episode and it's always going to end with this like i don't know just don't eat too much (laughs) monica is your registered dietitian yeah by filling the game just like eh, whatever (laughs) (laughs) um okay so japanese cuisine as a thing let's talk so with the rise in popularity of japanese cuisine since like the 70s but then also like really like 2000s on mm-hmm. um there have been some japanese traditionalists that are like super stressed about the misportrayal or appropriation of japanese food in 2006 japan's minister of agriculture forestry and fisheries attempted to devise a certification system for japanese restaurants outside of japan <laughs> sorry yeah, imagine just like you go up to some weird asshole in like rural Iowa being like, hey, uh, I know you have a sushi restaurant that is literally just like canned tuna on rice, but uh, we have to talk. Yeah, yes. I mean, that's 
I mean, that's not what they were thinking, but like, obviously that's what everyone imagined. And so they were dubbed like the sushi police. <gasps> Love it. And it was like met with a ton of criticism because first of all, it's extremely hypocritical because Japan is a country that has built its cuisine on like mixing and borrowing from other cultures, cough, cough, China cough. But also like what country fucking hasn't? Culture is... Insert our comment about authenticity being fake right here. Oh. You see every other episode we've ever done. <laughs> what kind of a sound effect should we have? Make a fart noise. Ugh, ew. Um, <laughs> yes. And also, like, obviously, even in 2006, there were still like, um, this is sounding like a lot of, like, nationalism, and that's caused some problems for us in the past. So, like... <sighs> really, did, did Japan have problems with nationalism? Who Do you think that did? was ever a thing that they... <laughs> yeah who didn't exactly um yeah so yes the sushi police clearly never got off the ground so what did happen instead of the sushi police was the japanese culinary academy in kyoto which is like the old most historical and most like food centric part of japan the only place i want to go they came up with the idea to develop a program to teach foreign chefs what they consider the essentials of Japanese cuisine. Then there was like a whole article that like really went into all of that. And I was like, okay, this is like intense. But basically, <laughs> I really that's Japan's motto. Japan, we are intense. <laughs> it's just like it is. And it's like, it's also like Japan has like it a bit tough in a lot of ways because like, they're very concerned about the ways in which like the globalization of food has like led to a lack of agricultural self-sufficiency, which we should all be concerned about. Totally. And like, we talked about this before when we did Wagyu mm. like a little bit, but it's just like Japan, especially cause like they have very little arable land. Cause there's like a series of like small islands. I always forget that. So, like, they don't produce very much, so they're always, like, importing. So it's like if they ever got to a point where they couldn't import food, they'd, they'd have a problem. Yeah. Apparently. I mean, that's, like, the concern. So it's, Okay, but is that one of those things where we're all, like, there's not enough fucking food for all these people on the planet? Or is it, like, a legit thing for them? Or is it, like, just the one half dozen the other? Um, I don't really know. I think... Like, a lot of the articles I was reading was kind of, like, yes, like, they don't produce, like, a lot of their stuff. They import, I don't, I thought I wrote this down. But it's not simply because. I not write things down. But it's, like, they import, like, over, like, 40% of their food. But is that exclusively because they can, not because they only have that option? I don't know. I'm just curious. I don't know. And I think, again, so the point that most of these articles that I was reading were making is that it's, like, a lot of the people arguing for this, like, we can't sustain ourselves. Like, we have to be in charge of our own food, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're the same kind of, like, traditionalist people who have that kind of, like, sneaky national trend. Like, Japan mm. has to be more Japanese aspect, which is where we get into this whole thing that I'm actually, like, really here to talk about. Which is how it all, like, it basically turns into a moral panic about Japanese households not preparing washoku, which is the traditional, scare quotes, Japanese food. Interesting. Yes. So, at its most basic, kind of like you talked about, washoku is, like, 
kind of like a mapped plate meal. Mm-hmm. So it's like, like rice. Like those kids' plates with the dividers. Love those. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like a, it's not like a bento box, but like, no, it's not. It's not. But it's like, yes, it's like you get your rice and you have your miso soup and then you've got like three side dishes, basically. Mm-hmm. And like pickles and stuff like you're saying. So currently it's Jack- three. Like it used to be for this thing, only the one, which is so interesting. And apparently one of them, I was reading this, is traditionally fish, and the other two are usually um, vegetables. Yes, and it's all a big thing where there's like very minimal like animal fats. Mm. Like it's light and I don't know. So Japanese, like a bunch of like traditionalist Japanese chefs, government officials, and like food industry executives as part of this like, washoku is important, blah, blah, blah. They came up with this idea of a day, November 24th, called Washoku no Hai, or Washoku Day, where people are meant to, like, basically take a day off work and school and prepare Washoku from scratch. Interesting. <laughs> so is it's it, just like, I don't want to be such a dick, but, like, is it really that hard to, like, make this food? Like, can't you just go to school, like, a little later? <laughs> or meal prep? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, like you've got to, like, make the dashi to, like, make mm. your miso soup and, like, have everything. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, if you're doing all of that. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is, it's, like, it's not necessarily that much work. I mean, I don't think. But it's more, like, a whole thing of, like, no, like, we need to, like, stop, like, ordering, like, processed foods. Like, we all need to, like, go home and, like, cook and, like, go. It's a, it's a back-to-tradition argument. Mm. And it's... Yeah, like the it's a preoccupation with the loss of traditional food preparation where the perceived moral consequences are like kind of weirdly at odds but also like completely in line with Japan's branding is like cool. If yeah, that makes sense. That's so interesting. So it's like you've got at the one hand they're like we have to be like super traditional like we have to have this special meal like it is essential to our like Japanese-ness. But then also, like, we're hip, please watch. Like, Yeah. Oh, man, this is so interesting. Yeah, and I think in both instances, it's, like, really, they're indicative of just how much, like, Japanese officials really care about the way that Japan is perceived abroad. I was going to say, so much of Japanese culture is so performative, and you can't have something that's performative without also having an audience. Like, what a fascinating way of doing things yeah and like i don't know it's very interesting and i think i'm like i'm kind of in this like weird Hmm. like mix kind of between topics here but like japanese food is really interesting because i think again as we kind of talked about with kimchi in a lot of ways it's like the greatest success stories of like a quote-unquote foreign cuisine being retranslated in north america Hmm. but it also like is constantly like trying to avoid the like trap of ethnic food Ooh. where it's like that instance where like ethnic in the scare quotes foods are seen as domestic unsophisticated unsophisticated and simple i.e like cheap inexpensive mm-hmm. and then on the other hand you've got international food which is like oat cuisine prepared by a typically white male chef which is oh. expensive and so a lot of this push with like washoku and with trying to train like non-Japanese chefs in preparing 
Japanese food the like traditional way is to try and get all of this like traditional again scare quotes <laughs> scare quotes on literally everything right so much backflips here mentally uh they're trying to get this traditional japanese cuisine into an international rather than an ethnic status and in a lot of ways they have succeeded like japanese food is it's quite highbrow like the amount of like high-end japanese restaurants where you spend quite a considerable amount of like cash on like really fancy preparations and the beautiful platings and everything is crazy like how it's like they have some japanese which is like on like a global scale considered like a little bit like fancier Uh than like thai perhaps you know Uh and i think a lot of that is because of all this work that the japanese officials have done to get like japanese cuisine as this like internationally recognized like oat cuisine and, and that's like, actually the sheer amount of michelin star restaurants that mm. they have in japan wild yes so and it's not the washoku that's become that kind of like fancy that's uh mm-hmm. I think it's called kaiseki and that's actually more kind of like the tea ceremony kind of meal mm. from what i was reading makes sense and it's like really interesting like it's links to nouvelle cuisine like in north america like there's so there's just there's so much <laughs> like but it's, I don't know, I think it's just, like, very cool. And, like, it's, like, becomes kind of this weird feedback loop where, like, now you've got, like, white dudes making, like, Japanese food, which is, like, like, f- like fusion-y and it's, like, appropriation. And, like, the Japanese officials are, like, kind of, like, mad, but they're actually, like, more mad because they're not, like, preparing it properly. Like, they'd be, like, if you were preparing, like, traditional washoku, we would be okay with this so interesting the other thing that's possibly the most interesting thing about washoku um which is like kind of like the way that we were talking with um the attempt to find like a quintessential chinese food with Mm. the like intangible cultural heritage designation thing Mm -hmm. is just like the idea that like a proclamation of one specific national food threatens to erase like other local cuisines like there's a lot of like washoku well, okay, actually, I've buried the lead. Washoku is fake. <laughs> like it's... Yeah, you really did bury the lead. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not fake. It is, but it's like, it's basically a made-up concept designed so that in 2013, it could be ascribed as part of the intangible cultural heritage designations. Oh, douche move. <sighs> I, I mean... love that. Yeah, yeah. So in the bid for this designation, Mm -hmm. uh, Washoku is described as, quote, a social practice based on a comprehensive set of skills, knowledge, practice, and traditions related to the production, processing, preparation, and consumption of food. It is associated with an essential spirit of respect for nature closely related to the sustainable use of natural resources. Hmm. Super chill. Yeah, super, super chill. <laughs> so washoku uh, used to be used interchangeably with the term uh, Nihon Ryori. Okay. Uh, which basically translates literally, both of them translate literally to Japanese food. <laughs> um, hmm. But the terms, yeah, so Nihon, or Nihon is like Japan mm-hmm. and Wa is Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the terms have been, like, sort of slowly been differentiated, labeling Nihon Ryori as, like, a restaurant meal, 
and the washoku as a home-cooked one. Although, actually, originally, these were, like, flipped definitions. Hmm. So the prefix wa, to mean Japan or Japanese style, like wagyu, mm-hmm. uh, it only emerged in the late 19th century when it became necessary to delineate objects or customs as either Japanese or Western. So the Western prefix is yo. So if you're going to have, like, a Western-style meal, it's yoshoku. So is this exclusively a response to, like, their engagement with, like, a more globalized world then? Yes. Yeah, like, when in, like, yeah, by the late 19th century, there was, like, Western influence in Japan. Hmm. Because before that, there wasn't. Very so cool. it's actually interesting that now they're calling it a home-cooked meal because, like, if you think about, like, a restaurant meal at the time, like, that would be kind of more like the Western thing. So you'd be, like, Yoshoku would be your restaurant Western meal. And then the direct opposite, like a Japanese restaurant meal, would be washoku. This is so wild. But then, of course, because it's like, that doesn't sound like nice and intangible and like Mm. essential to your cultural heritage. So then slowly, handily in time for the designation, Mm -hmm. they started kind of switching the definitions. Because a home cooking aspect is extremely important for the authenticity of it all. Ugh. Uh, So the article that I'm getting all this is actually a chapter in a book about like the post uh, like economic bubble in Japan. And so the chapter is an interesting time. The chapter is called serving the nation, the myth of Washoku by Katarzyna Swartz. It's just, there's so many consonants. I'm sorry. I cannot pronounce this, but it will be linked in our stories. Yes. Uh, So the author discusses how attaining the ICH designation was super important for Japanese officials that like basically they invented Washoku to meet all of the ICH criteria so that it would be ensured (laughs) to be accepted. (laughs) Which like, I don't know, I mean like fair, I guess. But like, whatever. I mean, all of that stuff is made up anyway. Like, Exactly. All of this is just a fucking simulation. Um, yes, so the article claims that Washoku was created to solve a number of issues that have plagued Japan since their economic bubble burst in the 90s, namely decline in global market competitiveness, a population that doesn't highly regard its country's achievements, and the lack of food self-sufficiency dependence on imports. That's actually so sad. (laughs) They're like, we're broke and everybody here hates it. Yeah, they're just like, we haven't done anything cool. Like, that's sad. But, like, also, what a fantastic marketing campaign I feel like that they've undergone. Because, seriously, everybody's obsessed with Japan. Totally. They've, like, killed it. Um, I'm obsessed with Japan. I want to go so bad. It's a great country. I love it. If anyone Uh, from from Japan (laughs) wants to have me there, I make a terrific dinner date. Maybe. Sometimes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, From 2006 to 2011, the Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries, and Forestry launched a worldwide promotional campaign called Washoku, Try Japan's Good Food, where products that were distinctly Japanese, i.e. miso, remember that's what this is about, um, (laughs) could be sampled alongside alongside non-typical Japanese food, like, I don't know, like apples and tomatoes and stuff that Mm. were just grown in Japan throwback to when we had to hear about what was it israel 
Iran somewhere being the inventors of the tomato. Cherry tomato, yes. Yeah. Wait, what country was that? Yeah, it was Israel. Cool. Everyone's just so obsessed with getting their name out there. This isn't, like, quite at that level. But it also, like, then it gets into, like, this interesting thing where it's, like, they've done all this heavy promotion. Like, there's even a Washoku World Challenge cooking competition that you could enter. That's so cool! Yep. Um, But, like, at the time of the articles that I was reading for this, it was, like, still kind of unclear whether, like, Washoku was actually a regular cooking practice in Japanese households. Like... (laughs) Are people actually making this? Like, does the Washoku Day catch on? Or is it just, like, a concept by Japanese officials? And maybe it will become a true custom. Or is it just, like, that kind of fake thing? Like, Canadians eating poutine. I don't know. I eat poutine. You eat poutine. Who doesn't eat poutine? But not, like, all the time. Nobody does anything all the time. I guess. I guess. Would you like to hear about Japanese cooking shows, or should I just say that? Yes! Okay. I mean, it's, like, not even that interesting. I mean, okay, it's very interesting, but it's not, like, at all really related to anything. But it's fun. Uh, So, Japanese cooking shows, obviously, they invented Iron Chef. The Japanese Iron Chef is my favorite. They did? Oh, my gosh. I don't really know anything about cooking shows, to be totally honest with you. All I know is that there's that guy on the Great British Bake Off who had a full meltdown and then was like, here are my dessert. It's crap. Enjoy. And I laugh at that meme every time. (sighs) No. The Japanese Iron Chef is from, like, 92 to, like, 94. Hmm. And it's great. You can watch all of, like, you can watch a bunch of them on YouTube. And it's, like, English commentary, and it's, like, kind of that, like, classic, like, weird English voiceover of, like, anime sort of thing, where it's, like, super intense, like, Japanese, like, commentator. Like, it's so good. And they're, like, so over the top, and, like, slicing things, like, like, it's supposed to be, like, a bad, oh, it's great. This sounds fantastic. So, yes, there are those kind of cooking shows. They've got lots of, like, crazy... Like, reality TV in Japan is wild and fabulous. But there's also a subgenre of, like, anime, which focuses on, like, food exclusively, and it's called gurume. Sorry, anime? Yes. So it's, it's like, like cartoons about food? Yeah, so it's like you can basically get, like, I don't want to say, like, a comic book, but, like, a comic book that's, like, following, like, a narrative story about these spoiler alert, mostly male, like, always male characters who are, like, super into food. And then a lot of them have been adapted into TV series, but, like, like with, like, actual actors, like, live. So... I'm obsessed with this idea. Yes. They're, like, so, foodie superheroes. So the Gastronomica article that I read about this mm. uh, calls them uh, gourmet samurais. <gasps> So, first of all, the fact that they're taking a narrative approach to, like, cooking shows is very cool. So, the quote from the Gastronomica article says, quote, In contrast with non-fictional cooking instruction or competition shows, which might entice viewers to try a new dish or restaurant, dramatized narratives invite them to identify more deeply with characters, using empathy and emotional appeal to coax viewers towards adopting new attitudes about their food practices. 
This is so neato. <laughs> yes. So it's very cool. Uh, as I mentioned before, the character, like the protagonists in these stories are like pretty much always dudes. They're kind of like, they're sort of like mask. They're super masculine, but kind of like a new masculine because they've like got a soft side, which Ooh. is usually shown through like their love and knowledge of food. That's so funny. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so it's like this kind of like new sort of way to like show not only men, but like men who are like into food uh, has been fascinating that we need to do that in general. But anyways, well, yeah, but it's been linked. Like, so the reason in Japan, this article is saying is because like, there's a drastic drop in Japanese marriage rates. Half of all men aged 30 to 34 don't have wives, AKA wives to cook for them. So it's like, we want to like show them how to get interested in food. Which we can, of course, link back to Washoku and the stress about a reliance on processed foods. So these shows kind of like subliminally encourage men to try their hand at simple home cooking. Wow. Yes. So much to unpack there. (laughs) Mostly like just deep-seated rage against the patriarchy for failing men everywhere across the globe so deeply. Yes. But also... Glad someone's trying to get them in the kitchen. Yeah, let's just, like, teach them. And again, like, deep rage about the fact that all, like, high-end chefs are typically male, and yet only, like, women are considered, oh, whatever, it's fine. Yeah, women are home cooks, Mm -hmm. men are chefs, yeah. How about this fun, just complete sidetrack? The article is from, like, the 70s or 80s, and it's, like, this mycologist. A mycologist? mycologist like a bacteria scientist dude okay and he was like studying just like a bunch like koji basically Mm -hmm. but then there was this whole section on miso and he was like here are some really cool and easy ways to substitute or to incorporate miso into western food Mm. it's like okay so here are some examples which i think are just hilarious so in talking about barbecue sauce quote if we substituted red miso for some of the tomato paste and omitted the salt, the modified product was delicious on hamburger and other meats. The ability to substitute other ingredients in this sauce is almost unlimited. <gasps> Which, that sounds great. Love it. That does sound like great. Miso barbecue is, like, pretty That's basic. Yeah. yeah. There's also this. Quote, another product easily formulated from various types of miso was made by blending miso into cream cheese. For a spread into sandwiches as a dip for crackers or potato chips and to make salad dressings. Hell yeah. I don't know if I would mix it with cream cheese, but I often use miso in like salad dressings and like other things. Like miso gravy is the classic vegetarian. Yeah, delicious. No, I'm exclusively interested in the cream cheese here. Like the others sound great, but I want the cream cheese miso. I have told you about the time that I put like soy sauce on cottage cheese. No, you haven't. I really don't like cottage cheese, which I feel like is a failing on my part. No, lots of people don't like cottage cheese. But there's mm, something like, like I should a like salt. It. You know what I did make? Mm. The miso chocolate tart <gasps> that has been like lightly circulating the internet. Could you send me that? I want that. It's. I thought it was delicious. I want so that. Good. That sounds so fucking good. Honestly, like the miso aspect of it was like 
not really like a thing. Like it was definitely like the chocolate was much more forward. Did it like round it out a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's like nice and salty. The best part in my opinion was it's like you make a, like an Oreo crust, Mm. like, like crumb crust, but with black sesame seeds. I was going to say, I feel like the crust would have some interesting stuff in there. Yeah. That's delicious. And it's nutty and salty and it was very good. Yeah. I need that recipe. That sounds delicious. Yes. I will send it to you. Damn. I want that right now. It was very easy to make. I'm not going out. It's almost one in the morning here. You no, you can't do it now. But like, I, I don't know. Start making croissants at 1030 at night the other day, though. Because I just don't care. All night or did you like sleep? And then I took a four hour nap. I was wildly angry the next day. Um, That's all I have. I got a bit chaotic, but whatever. You're always a bit chaotic when you're like, this is off track. I'm like, what track were you on? <laughs> it's more just like I type it into like database and I was like this is cool I'm just gonna scream about this now love it love it what more do you want uh so this was a terrific episode 10 stars to both of us and uh I'm gonna make that chocolate miso tart and to every person who shares this podcast with two friends and gets them to subscribe I will send you a chocolate miso tart <laughs> I tried cool. to mail Perry a croissant and it did not work did I was formally told that that was not going to be a thing. By her or by Canada Post? Canada Post. This is the thing. If I had have walked in with just like a pre-wrapped package and been like, gonna mail this by, would have been fine. But I opened up a Tupperware container with a croissant in it and was just like, with a bunch of croissants actually because I was taking some to work and was just trying to put one in like a bag. And this lady was like, we're not doing that. You'd have to put it in like a box. Yeah. So Emily is apparently going to surreptitiously mail you a piece of a tart. Send me your social insurance numbers, your addresses, <laughs> uh, your mom's maiden name, and photographic proof that you've subscribed to new friends. I love it. Yep. Don't yeah. fuck with me on this. I will find you if you don't do it. Yeah. We're going to have your social security number. <laughs> exactly. I'll hunt you down. And we'll have a very serious conversation about expectations. And lies. Fibs. <laughs> so anyways, this has been Pantry Staples. We've yes. We've talking about miso uh, in our fermentation series. Thanks for being here. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the more cohesive way to say this is rate, review, subscribe, please. It's very nice. Tell your friends. Tell your foes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time goodbye bye everybody <laughs>